Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, yo, what up, baby? It's the Preachers of Secrets podcast. I've got an exciting one today. The frontman founder... Of the super popular metal band Skillet is in the house today. Well, in the proverbial digital house today. John Cooper stopped by the Preachers and Seekers podcast to talk about not only metal, Christian metal, Christian entertainment, uh, the new book he's writing, his exquisite beard oils, but also his most recent post about making pastors uncool again. Him and I got connected since we have somewhat parallel uh, maybe audiences and subject matter to not only talk about the book and his band, but also about his comments about making pastors uncool again. I think you'll enjoy it. It's a trip back into maybe some more OG preachers and sneakers content, which I know a lot of people have been asking for. So I'm trying to give it to you people. Uh, this guy's got a great voice. He's very outspoken on the things that he believes and is pushing others to have nuanced and open-minded discussion about the state of the world, the state of the church, all that kind of stuff. So keep an open mind, try to consider a different perspective, and be encouraged that uh, it's still okay to be bold about the things that you believe, just as long as you uh, know why you believe those things, which is convicting to me, because it's very easy to form opinions without having much uh, backing behind it. Or it's very easy to find someone else's opinions and just adopt it. So uh, I got a lot out of the conversation. It was great meeting a guy that's been in the biz since like 96. Skillet's been in a, a band since, or has released their first album in 1996, and they're still going strong. So this dude's a workhorse. Um, so sit back, relax, and stay tuned for my conversation with John L. Cooper of the band Skillet. A couple of quick things. Be sure to subscribe to the Preachers and Secret podcast on Apple podcasts smash the subscribe button leave a rating and a review seriously i really appreciate everyone leaving ratings and reviews even if it's a negative review it's helpful for me to improve the pod and hopefully give you what you want so keep keep that up and also if you haven't subscribed to the email list yet head on over to preachersandseekers.com drop your email and that's where you're going to get all the news about merch the upcoming book release podcast guests uh, you're also going to get access to the actual newsletter, which gives you insights into the sneaker world, the preacher world, and some preachers and sneakers content. So a lot of good stuff there. Drop your email at preachersandseekers.com. Also, if you haven't, be sure to check out the Hidden Figures podcast, the podcast with my buddy Justice, uh, where we talk about building wealth, how to steward wealth, and how to feel good about it. If that kind of thing interests you, head on over to... Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Hidden Figures Podcast. All right, that's enough. It's enough talking. Let's get to my conversation with John L. Cooper. My guest today on the Preachers and Sneakers Podcast is uh, a guy that seemingly does it all. Not only did he found and currently lead the band Skillet, but he's been nominated for Grammys. They've won Billboard Awards. They've won 
every single Dove Award out there, it seems like. He's toured with Breaking Benjamin, Three Days Grace, Toby Mac, Pillow of Mud, Papa Roach, Creed, Godsmack, Lecrae, for King Country, Seven Dust, which coincidentally was my first concert ever, I think, was Seven Dust and Stained uh, nice. in, in some random uh, small town uh, venue. Anyways, I've got John Cooper with me on the pod. John, thanks for uh, coming through and you know hopping on this kind of weird podcast to talk about all the different things you got going on. How's it going today, man? Good. I'm excited to chat with you. It, it, it's uh, going to be fun, and it, you know, I love the stuff we're going to talk about. Well. I love, I don't know everything we're going to talk about, so maybe I don't love it. Let's rewind. I don't love everything we're talking about so far, but I hope it gets real exciting, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I really wanted to just spend an hour talking about your experience touring with Creed, really. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. You know, honestly, when you go on a tour like that, you have to go, uh, where the arms wide open under the sun of that's what you got to do. <laughs> Dang, you probably could have replaced Scott Stapp. That's pretty good, actually. It's the first time I've ever done that on any sort of microphone. You're welcome. You're Well, people's uh, careers tend to generally skyrocket after being on this podcast. I'm, so I'm very good. well. You could get a call from Creed, the reboot. So yeah. <laughs> uh, be on the lookout for that. So, John, uh, you do your main thing is leading the band Skillet. And I imagine a lot of people know the band skillet but y'all have been i was doing some reading earlier y'all have been making music since like 96 yes right? that's where our first record came out 96 and it's 2020 and you came out with another record this year like y'all have somehow made music and stayed relevant for the past 24 25 years and you're still going strong which is so impressive to me um for the people that maybe don't listen to skillet skillet's a a metal band. If you're not in the metal, there you maybe you don't know Skillet. Um, but do you mind quickly going through how you got into music? What kind of the progression of Skillet has been, and kind of what your life looks like right now with the band sure. and writing and entrepreneurship and all that. So yeah, 1996 is when we started. Memphis, Tennessee is where we're from, awesome. and uh, you know Pretty my good barbecue. For, what's that? Pretty good barbecue. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely better than Kansas City. Kansas City acts like they have the best. They don't. Anyway, um, uh, you know, I, I got into music. My mom was into music. My mom was a piano teacher and a voice teacher. And so I began taking, I mean, I think I sung my first solo in church when I was about four years old, you know, wow. just like part of the gig, you know. And uh, yeah, my mom forced me to take piano and she's like, you have a talent. You're not allowed to stop. So I played piano. Um, I took lessons from my mom until I was about eighth grade. And so that was a pretty, you know, pretty big commitment. So I got into music young. The, the thing that's unique about my story is that I was raised in a, a, a very Bible belt. Uh, mm-hmm. Rock and roll was the worst thing that, that the devil ever created. Right? No drums, no bass. Yes. Yeah. I mean, guitars were terrible. Drums were the, the you know, Drums were the worst instrument ever mm-hmm. and no, you couldn't wear black. And so I kind of grew up in, in that era, funny enough. And I got into Christian music when I was in about sixth grade, but my mom was very upset about Christian music. Christian music was worse than regular music because it was wolves in sheep's clothing. Ah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were pretending, sinister. they were pretending to be, they were angel of angels of light. Right. And so that was, um, that was a, a big fight at my house. But all that to say, I loved music. Music always shaped me. It, it just affected me. And I learned tons 
about the Bible from Christian music, from Petra and mm-hmm. Michael W. Smith. And, and, and then I got into the Christian metal scene, of course, you know, White Cross and all those great bands. But honestly, I think Petra was my first cassette tape. Me too. Or, you know, maybe it was my first C- I think it was my first CD. Because uh, obviously I, could, I grew up in a somewhat of the same background. Obviously, we couldn't have secular music in the house anywhere. But my first CD I remember was Petra. It was a green label. I can't remember what album that was. But that Dang. had to have been somewhere in the 90s. Go on. Sorry. No, you. not at all. I mean, well, they were my first cassette tape. I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit older than you. So, yeah. yeah, that my first cassette tape was Petra. But I learned a ton about the Bible from, from Petra, to be honest. And so I just kind of loved music. And when I, we started Skillet, I just had a passion to tell people about Jesus. I wanted to play music. I wanted to create art that I believed in, you know, that I expressed what I felt. But I also wanted to evangelize, and that is why Skillet started, and that's it. I mean, it's all all she wrote. I never dreamt it'd be 20 years. I I thought it'd be three, four, five years at the most. Eight, if we were lucky, never imagined it would last this long. And I think probably the the, the real turning point for Skillet really was that we got noticed by uh, Atlantic Records, and Mm -hmm. we went from being like an indie from an indie Christian label to being on a mainstream hard rock label and touring the world with rock and metal artists. That was really what changed it because I would say about 65, maybe 70% of the people who buy skillet albums are from outside of Christianity, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I read something online about y'all got picked up like a month into starting the band or something. You had no real plan for the band. You just like, Somebody suggested that y'all do it, yeah. and then a month later you're signed? Yeah, it, that is true. The, the only difference is that when we when we first got together, we were all playing in different bands. So Skillet okay. was kind of like a, a side project, you know, almost like the idea of a super group. It's just that none of the bands were super. We were never heard of. <laughs> uh, we were a super group without the super. And yeah. so, yes, that was true. And then – you know, these labels were never interested in my other band or my guitar player's other band, but for some reason they, they dug skillet. You know, I don't know why. So that, that's awesome. So that uh, you've been doing skillet since, uh, 96 you've had, you know, there's been some transitions within the band over the years, personnel, sound, uh, tour schedule, all that kind of stuff, you know, with COVID happening now, what is, what does the state of the band look like now? I'm just curious. Well, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, uh, no one uh, a year ago, imagine what you were doing a year ago. Did anybody listening, did you ever imagine there'd be a time with a worldwide pandemic that shut down? I mean, you read about some of these things in history, you know, the Black yeah. Plague. You know, you read about what people had to do, but this is, we, I, I think that in general, people just felt that, you know, from, from modern, uh, mod, modernity they call it which is modern with an ity at the end if you modernity uh that we were done with that and so now here we are and everybody's going what do you do when you're in a band and you tour for a living or you play sports and or you do arenas whatever it is so i think that for now we're all kind of just wondering what the future looks like um i think people have high hopes that by next summer we'll be touring again um i have high hopes that we'll be touring a little bit before before then yeah but nothing is guaranteed so it's it's a little i'll tell you i really feel bad for in the music business i feel bad for the younger artists like imagine that you just got signed last year and you put your first record out and you're ready to go tour and work and then like your business is shut down 
with I mean, no that, alternative other than Twitch and YouTube, which yeah, is just it. not a good replacement. No, it's not. And so I don't know what it's going to look like, but we are writing music and, uh, you know, preparing for something for next year. If, if, and when we're able to tour, I'd like to put a song out or a few songs out or something, you know, something yeah. to, to rock people's faces. Yeah. And you've also, I mean, you've also found opportunities to pivot a little bit. Like you've got a pretty popular podcast now, or you have a popular <laughs> podcast, not pretty popular. You have a popular podcast. <laughs> It's and... pretty popular. <laughs> I am extremely relevant with a pretty popular podcast. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm neither of those things. Uh, but you've also written a book. You have uh, what's your? You have a beard oil brand. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I Did that start this at, year? No, that started a couple of years ago. I'm part owner of a company called Hawk and Hatchet. And if you want to know where all this amazing stuff is, do this. Go to my website, johnlcooper.com, johnlcooper.com. And it has links to all of it. But a few years ago, I, I became part owner of this amazing business that I just love. I was a fan of the business. Uh-huh. And they make uh, – what I love about it, it, it's not just products for dudes. But the products that are for dudes are like amazing masculine products like – they, they, it's like, uh, it's like if you're camping, you have these amazing candles and, you know, butcher boards and beard wax, you know, very masculine stuff. Yeah. And I was talking to the owner and I just said, what can I do to help you guys promote? I mean, could I put some money into this? I'd like to invest in the company. And in the end he said, you know what, why don't you just become a part owner and we will make our own signature line of stuff for you because you love this stuff. And so that's how that's it started. Dope. So it's like all that, na- everything is all natural. It's all made in Wisconsin. It's all handmade. That's cool. And yeah, the beard products are amazing. And to my knowledge, I have the only, and I mean, this literal, this is literal to my knowledge, the only beard oil and beard products, this smell like cologne to my knowledge. No one else does that. Usually they smell like pine you know, or like cedar and, yeah, yeah. and, and vanilla or, or else more like a, usually it just smells like you're, you're rubbing your face up against a tree. That's what, that's what beard <laughs> products usually smell or dirt. And I feel like and, that's what it's supposed to smell like. Yeah. You know, people are like, Oh, I smell like a pine tree or, or what have you. And you know, beeswax, but you know, mine's actually smells like you smell like a handsome dude when you put <laughs> on my beard products. So yeah. So check that out. And the podcast I started before COVID as well, but it certainly got ramped up in the, what, what would I call it? In the ferociousness, <laughs> the fierceness of the topics. Yeah. I mean, I already was covering some things that were a little controversial before COVID, but when COVID hit, it was just like, I felt like the Christian world just went nuts. And I started seeing so many pastors and Christian leaders saying such bizarre things that I just kind of felt like uh, this can't go on unchecked. (laughs) Like this can't go on unchecked. And who am I? I'm I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm a rock star. I mean, I hope to help people in their Christian faith, but this has to be mentioned. And I just had that feeling like, you know, like if I don't, if not me, then who that's how it felt like now I am aware there are other people doing it, but as you know, in the Christian music world, in the Christian influencer celebrity world, there's almost no one doing it, you know, in, in my position. And I, in fact, any of the Christian musicians that are outspoken are typically 
I would say quite liberal, not just politically liberal, biblically liberal, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, you know what? Forget it. I'm doing it. I'm just going to go for it. So that that is why the the podcast really took off during COVID. That's awesome. And it's interesting uh, because I've felt some of the same things. It's interesting when you're sitting there thinking about something that seems obvious and you look around and it doesn't seem like anyone else is talking about it it makes you almost feel like you're being gaslit or something where it's like, am yeah. I crazy here for thinking uh, my whole deal is about, you know, ties and donations and luxury goods and getting rich and getting jets and all that kind of stuff. And me looking around, just asking the question about like, is this the best way to do Christianity? And a lot of people pushing back and saying, who are you to even question this? And it, I think we probably felt some of the same things like, dude, this, I should be able to at least ask about this or speak on this without feeling like I'm the crazy person. Like I'm objectively <laughs> looking at this and it seems wrong. Uh, and I'm going to say something about it. And I think that's yeah. what people appreciate about your podcast. Um, because you are bold about things that make people squirm, uh, right. which maybe it shouldn't make people squirm, especially if you're, uh, secure in your faith or secure in, in your knowledge of the word. And that's a good, that's a good transition. I think, um, because along with the podcast, you've had several kind of Facebook posts or rants go viral. Um, and one that really stuck out most recently was you had one titled Make Pastors Uncool Again. Um, do you mind talking about that briefly? Because I think a lot of people think that or maybe they're pissed when somebody mentions the idea of fighting against celebrity culture or whatever. And I'd also like to understand maybe how you fight against some of that being, you know, a very well-known rock star. So do you mind just talking through maybe what you were thinking and what your article was about and all that? Well, yeah, you know, I think going back to what you were saying about the feeling that you're being gaslit, you know, I think that what, I think that what I felt was exactly the same thing as you, which is the, am I going crazy here? But here's the interesting thing. I think people of a certain age, all right. And maybe that, I don't know what that age is. Let's say it's above 50. All right. People that are above 50, uh, they know that what they're hearing is stupid, <laughs> but it's the people under 50 have been raised in a culture of social media. And it is so unpopular to say anything that is conventional wisdom or orthodox or traditional or things that people just used to, to take for granted. It's so unpopular. You literally put your career on the line yeah. just to come out and say something that anybody over 50 would be like, yeah, you don't need to be a pastor and make $3 million a year. There's something a little strange about that. Anybody over 50 agrees with that typically. <laughs> so part of it is this, the pervasiveness of a social media culture where people haven't learned to, to, um, to make arguments or to think critically and like to, you know, when you read a book, you, you read a book and a book is, is typically putting an argument forward. Agreed. So yes. it starts with a premise and then the book opens up and the argument goes and goes and goes. And by after 200 pages, the argument and the conclusion is done. And then you have to think critically about the argument. We yeah. don't do that anymore. Social media gives you bite-sized information. Let me give you an argument of why abortion is wrong. It'll take me 10 seconds. Boom. Let me give you an argument of why abortion isn't wrong. 10 seconds. Boom. And people think that they know a thing from hearing bite-sized 
you know, cookies. And, and all you're doing is eating a cookie. You don't know how to bake the cake, right? So um, I just made that up. That just came to That's me. Great. That must That's the your next book, I think. <laughs> bake the cake. Don't just eat the cookie <laughs> or, or flip it. Don't eat just eat the cookie. Bake the cake. Bake the cake. Yeah. We we made that up here. Anyway, um, so I do think that that's a problem. So, you know, I think as you say, one of your things, or maybe you might say, it sounds like you said, the, the thing that you're really quite passionate about is to do with the celebrity, Christian celebrity, culture pastors, things like that. Yep. That's not like one of my things, quote unquote. Um, my thing is more like, why have we in general gotten so far away from all of the foundational things that mostly we believed for the last 300 years for the most part. And one of those things certainly is this celebrity pastor culture. And so I, I, in other words, I do feel passionate about it. I think you, you probably feel a little bit more like that's more of a, uh, of like your thing. Mm -hmm. But when I wrote that was to just to do with the fact of, of we we see like most recently we see Carl Lentz you know this thing that came out in Carl Lentz and people are like wow how could this happen but I think that anybody again over fifty <laughs> or people that are paying attention are kind of mm-hmm. like this didn't start I mean I'm just gonna say it because I don't even care anymore Go ahead. this didn't start six months ago with this affair that he had there's a problem going back which is. I would call getting along with the world. I would call wanting to be popular, wanting to to be so relevant that we find clever ways to dance around issues. In other words, when I saw Carl Lentz on The View, whatever that was, unwilling to say, yes, abortion is sinful and abortion is murder. Mm -hmm. Unwilling to say that, well, that we already know there's a problem. And I think the thing is, is that you're not allowed to come on and say it's a problem and what, unless you want to get lamb blasted. Yeah. And so I, I think that those are the kind of things that really annoy me. So for me, it was kind of like, Hey, let's just kind of say it like it is. Pastors are not supposed to be cool. They're not supposed to be the best looking people in the world. They're not supposed to tell people what they want to hear in order to get famous. They're supposed to be on the front lines taking some shots I mean, right? They're supposed to be the ones telling people like me what to do. Mm-hmm. And and I think the reason I that I wrote it is because I've really been angered in the last five, seven, eight years because I keep meeting Christian people who I think are good people that honestly, they don't know how to live. In other words, maybe if they understood what truth was, they would be willing to stand up for it. But mm-hmm. they don't know what truth is, you know? And And a lot of that is because our pastors and our, our leaders and the Christian influencers aren't saying it. They're not teaching them. So how, you know, so you got people that are like, they think they're a Christian. Some of this started for me in 2012. I was talking to a friend who, who was a, has been a Christian for a decade. We were hanging out and he just kept saying stuff that I just didn't understand. And finally I just said, I asked him some questions and I said, brother, that's not Christianity. That, that's called universalism. He had never heard of universalism. And I said, no, what you're talking about is actually not the Christian faith. If you don't believe in an eternal judgment and eternal punishment and for, because of God's righteousness and his holiness, then you are not believing in Orthodox Christian biblical teaching. And this was news to him. And he'd been a Christian for a decade. That's a problem, man. Yeah. And it's... Uh... <clears throat> 
it is easy. Well, I guess I'll ask you, how do you think we got to this point? Because there clearly was a, there is a need being filled by that type of pastor. Why do you think in 2020, we're even, we have this whole slew of people that essentially are self-help gurus that yes. don't really stick to anything biblical. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. I've got, I've got a billion. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I know we're going to talk about the book that I wrote. Um, it's coming out, and, but I, I did write a little bit about this in the book just because I'm writing about the book is not about philosophy, but I do talk about some philosophies in there. There's so many of these. I mean, we live in a, in a time See, when I was growing up, I grew up in the 80s. When I grew up, as, as people that grew up then know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. That's mm-hmm. the motto, right? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. It was a life of, he, of hedonism. Yeah. If people don't know what hedonism is, hedonism is just basically pursuit of pleasure. That is the end, that is the end goal of life. Anything that can give me, make me feel good. Sex, drugs, rock and roll is what people live for. So being a Christian in the 80s, to be honest, was not difficult. I mean, it was difficult in the sense that you had to say no to the flesh, just like at all times with Christianity, but it wasn't difficult to define. Yeah. The reason that has changed is because the secular culture has changed into more of, of humanism. We've gone from hedonism to humanism and humanism is the the philosophy basically that man is the center of everything we can reach utopia on our own we can reach righteousness on our own we can be virtuous people and it's really worth mentioning because think about 1980s prince and madonna never claimed to be good people right mm-hmm. they were hedonists they were pagans in fact they bragged about their sin they never claimed to be good people look at it in 2020 some of the most hedonistic sinful, against God, anti-biblical, atheist people in culture also believe that they are the most moral people in culture. Have we thought about that? It's really interesting, right? So now in 2020, you can find virtue. Now, it's not true virtue, by the way. It's perceived virtue from an atheistic point of view. But you can find that kind of virtue with all within yourself. And that's all based on humanism. So I guess it's a really long answer to say that spiritualism is quite popular right now. Not Christianity, but spiritualism is quite popular. The New Age movement is alive and well because we believe that we can reach utopia if you just eat the right diet and you eat clean and you show your body love by doing yoga and you have the right smoothies. And if you're a vegan, because you don't hurt animals and it just goes on and on. And so these preachers have found a way to get extremely popular because spiritualism is already popular. So all they got to do is kind of like use their talents as a, an orator or whatever it may be and kind of mix together new age movement with Christianity. It's actually easy. You can be a millionaire too. All you got to do is use some of the stuff of Christianity, which would be more like the ethical life of Jesus yeah. Right. So even the atheist, the atheist loves the ethical life of Jesus because he helped the poor and he helped the oppressed and he spoke up for the adulterous woman who was going to be stoned. They, they, you take the ethical life of Jesus and you take the humanistic virtue of the world and you put them together and you can make a billion dollars in America. 
<laughs> yeah, because the uh, the markets are uh, the markets are there, or the the audience is there for that type of content. People uh, speaking from maybe one generation younger than yours. Our generation, in a lot of ways, is the generation of deconstruction and questioning everything. And so I think yeah. that's what's led to a lot of the kind of let's uproot every norm and bit of uh, element of Orthodox Christianity in hopes of re-envisioning every part about Christianity. But in turn, that very quickly can turn into uh, what's right for you is not right for me. Yes. Everybody is inherently good. And we're all trying our best and God loves everyone. And that's it. Um, And then you can make a lot of money by appealing to that. I think, or I know like the (laughs) Christian self-help industry is just so lucrative and uh, you can build a very quick platform by being a really good speaker, being really attractive and uh, saying things that sound really good when in turn it's really just kind of, Self-help. You know what's what, what? What to jump on that if I can? So much of what you're talking about now is exactly what my book is about. Because the book, um, uh, the book is called "Awaken Alive to Truth," but mm-hmm. the subtitle is "Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World." And what you just mentioned is that, which is the well, maybe what's right for you isn't right for me, and maybe her truth is this, but my truth is something different. That is what relativism is, right? So a lot of people don't know it. It just means that there is no absolute truth. All truth is relative. And so the funny thing is, is that that has infiltrated, Christ, uh, infiltrated Christianity, which should be and is an impossibility, because if there is no absolute truth, then there is no, how do you know there's a God? Yeah. How do you know that you're even here? How do you know that you're not in the matrix? Right. You know, maybe you're in your pod right now, you know? <laughs> so, so maybe you're not even truly thinking. Maybe it's a robot thinking for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but that's what the book is about. It's about that sort of relativism. And it's the reason that people are so confused and in such chaos and, and don't, they have no foundation to live upon. And so the book is about, how do you find truth? And if you bring it all the way back to old wisdom, truth is found in the word of God and it never changes. And you can count on it every single day. It will always be right. Everything else is going to fall. You know, all the scientific theories that everybody said they were sure about. Do you remember that time when the World Health Organization said that there was no way that COVID could spread human to human? <laughs> I, I mean, it all runs together at this point, but I'm. I that was in you. January. It's not. No, humans don't. They, they don't give it to each other. The World Health Organization believe the science. You know that didn't work out. Remember that mm. time when they said that masks don't work? Don't wear a mask. You're actually mm. hurting people by wearing a mask. And then they say masks do work. Science is going to come and go, but the word of God is going to stand forever. Yeah. And if we could just encourage Christians to believe the word of God we would find a lot of people totally fulfilled in their relationship with Christ because they, and part of that fulfillment comes because you are trusting the word of God. And when you trust the word of God, you get to live in the benefits of obedience. So, I mean, that's something that I talk about in the book that's kind of quite relevant. Yeah. And I've, I've read about half the book and you do get into some pretty heady topics, but I think what you mentioned earlier is about the ability to, 
a lot of people don't have the ability to uh, think critically or my deal is have nuanced type conversations. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that through your book that people read it and are at least open to trying to think critically and uh, hopefully be open to a discussion for things that maybe aren't super comfortable, but are super necessary because it's very easy, so. to, but it's very easy to just be like, dude, I, I just don't know. I'm just not going to think about it. But ultimately yes. if you, if you want to be the type of person that is an advocate for your faith, you do kind of need to be able to speak to, some of these harder things and be resolute in what you believe. I think so. Yeah. You know, I think an interesting thing you mentioned earlier, this has been on my my mind for the last week. So maybe I'll mention it. You you had said something about like deconstruction. It's like, that's the word you hear all the time. Mm -hmm. But if you combine that deconstruction with the fact, and I'm not trying to be rude. All right. I, I put myself in this category to the fact that we don't really, we don't really read like people used to a few decades ago. We don't really study like people and we, yeah. and we disallow for wisdom to be passed down to us from the, the, the generation. So if you put it all together, what you have, you have a generation of people deconstructing their faith, even though they don't really know anything about anything. And that's what I'm trying. I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm saying it's like, it's almost like going, Hey, yeah, my parents told me that, that if you, uh, let, let me think, I can't think of any. Okay. I love to do woodworking and I'm teaching my son how to, how to do woodworking. Cool. You know, you always measure <laughs> before you make a cut. Yes. Right. I mean, duh. Well, what happens if my son, he has two lessons with me. I teach him how to measure and then I teach him how to market. And the, and then you got to teach him how to use the saw because you know, when you use the saw, you can't saw directly on the line because you actually will will cut off some of the wood. In other words, there is matter that you are, you know, disintegrating and in, into in, in sawdust. So you have to do to the side of the line and it's a skill. You get used to it. What if my son goes, okay, I know how to woodwork now after two lessons. And then he goes, I'm deconstructing my woodworking skills. Well, he doesn't know nothing about woodworking skills. He had two lessons and yeah. all he learned is a theory that you should go to the right of the center of the line so that you measure correctly. And now he's going to deconstruct it. Well, what good is that going to get you? All you're going to do is end up building wood project, wood projects with improper measurements, you know? Yeah. And so um, I, I, I understand the deconstruction, but the idea of wisdom is that you, a generation learns a thing and then teaches their kids a thing. And if we, we've gotten to a point that we don't trust the generation before us on anything. So like what, I mean, like on anything. So, so people like, well, I don't really know if the sky's blue. I I need to investigate it. The sky's blue. You can see it, dude. It's there. It's blue. We've known that for thousands of years. And well, I don't know it for myself. And the only way that I can know it is by reading 30 second blurbs from 5,000 different influencers and find out who's cool today and find out the most, oh, about to go for it here, brother. Come the on. most marginalized person in society today to tell me what this color of the sky really is. And now I actually know a deeper truth that no one else can know. This, this is stupid. You heard it. It's just a, it's a really dumb way to live. And and you, if you look in society and you see how we are literally killing each other, killing ourselves, suicide rates have skyrocketed. Yeah. People aren't getting married. People are having kids. Um, anxiety rates. 
have skyrocketed. Uh, take a look at the earth and see if relativism is going better than see if relativism is going better than hedonism you're going to find out that it's actually not <laughs> yeah yeah hedonism starting to look pretty good at this point uh, uh, <laughs> kidding i'm kidding there are some daily comforts that just make you grateful and feel more grounded in life petting the dog hitting the snooze button and of course that first cup of coffee these are things that you can on every day to help you get where you want to go things like the upper room daily devotional guide you can count on the upper room for daily inspiration, daily community, and daily prayer. It's the only daily devotional magazine written by readers, ordinary people, people who've encountered God in daily situations. The upper room is here for you every day through your email, a custom app, or printed magazine. Enjoy a free 30-day trial of the email or app service by visiting upperroom.org slash welcome. That's U-P-P-E-R-R-O-O-M dot org slash welcome to get your first 30 days free. Uh, but that is, I mean, what you said is convicting for me, I think, because like I very much grew up in a super church context and know everything or thought I knew everything there was to know about Christianity. And in turn, once I got older and got married and kind of saw the world a little bit, I started asking myself some of these questions like, why do I believe some of this? Like, why? what is this based on? But I also, there's been plenty of times where I have those ideas and also am not reading a ton, not studying a ton and, and being influenced by voices on the internet. Like, I'm just going to be real like that. Sure. I think a of lot course. of people, that's a real thing for a lot of people. And I, I fall prey to that too, because, uh, I think I know a lot of people are at least in the past four years have pushed away from maybe their parents and grandparents. Cause maybe their alignment to a political candidate or a president and because they maybe supported this one thing or the other thing, they've in turn be like, wait a second, they are the people that taught me everything to believe. And maybe I don't feel the same as them. Yes. Now I'm going to completely question everything that I've ever been taught by that group of people. I think that's happening. That's, I think you're absolutely right. And let me say, I've been praying, praying to that too. It's not like uh, uh, everybody else does it and, and I and I never do. So, um, you know, that makes me better than someone else. That's not the truth. I think you're absolutely right. And I would say if if people if what people mean by deconstruction is simply, hey, I'm going to approach the Bible with fresh ears. You know what I mean? And I'm yeah. going to study the word of God. Well, I think that that's a different thing. Because I will assume that we are going to grow in our understanding of the revealed word of God. Yeah. But that's a different thing than people saying, I'm going to deconstruct. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a little bit of the Bible, but then I'm also going to read um, a little bit of Darwin and Nietzsche, you know, the atheist philosopher. And, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to think about it and see which one sounds better. So the idea that you will never be influenced negatively by putting garbage in your brain is actually, it's really, really unwise. And yeah. we know that it's unwise because anybody listening that has kids knows that, you know, I don't tell my kids, Hey, you go and make friends with whoever you want to. Some of them will be Christian kids. Some of them are going to be kids that, 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 that hate Jesus and cuss and, and watch pornography and just kind of like listen to each of them and just kind of go for it for yourself. No parent does that. Hmm. If a parent finds out their kids are hanging out with some other kid who, who, who plays with knives, you know what I mean? Or it's like, oh, it's kind of fun to play with fire. I'm going to yeah. set a tree on fire and see what happens. <clears throat> no good parent allows their kids to do that because you put garbage in your brain, it will affect you. So I would say there's a difference in 
the deconstruction of, of those, <clears throat> excuse me, of those kinds of things. I just think that's worth mentioning. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've gotten a lot deeper than I ever was planning on going. Uh, I want to go back to the pastors being uncool article. And because as somebody that makes or at least alludes to kind of difficult questions about pastors, I've experienced this a lot. Uh, what kind of pushback have you gotten from that kind of article? Because as someone who lives on the internet uh, right now, I know the response probably is that a lot of people said, who are you to question celebrity status of pastors when you're a celebrity yourself? You're also in the Christian sphere. You're also making millions of dollars. Or you're making, you sold 12 million albums, a lot of money there. Who are you to ask these kind of things? What kind of pushback? What was that like? And maybe what, sure. what did you deduce from all that? Yeah, you know, and 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 I actually want to rewind to one thing and bring them together. You sure. had said earlier about that, that that we've lost the ability to like nuance arguments. You yeah, know, yeah. you said that a second ago. Then you said something else about people who like maybe they look at their parents and and they love their parents, but maybe their parent you know voted for somebody that they hate or their their parent you know I don't know what that issue is. Okay, maybe they they believe in trickle-down economics, and it just really ticked you off because you went to college, and you're like, well, if they're wrong about trickle-down economics then they, and they vote for you know, Trump or whoever, yeah. then, then, then maybe they've been lying to me about Jesus as well. Mm-hmm. If you add all these arguments together, what, what, part of what you really get is a lot of the philosophy of the day, and I just want to mention it. There's a philosophy of the day of like dissociation, and it is very much tied together with, with like the idea of virtue signaling. But if you think about it, it's all to do with that, that humanistic thing I talked about earlier about, I want the world to know how virtuous I am. Yeah. It doesn't matter if my heart has changed. It doesn't matter if God gave me a brand new heart. It doesn't matter if I actually am a good person. I want people to think that I'm a good person. And the only way to do that is to go on social media and yell at somebody or to be the first one to say Black Lives Matter or whatever that's going to be. I need to be the first one to do it because when I do that, I am dissociating from all of the sins that I was born into. If you think about it, it's a new religion. Hmm. It, it's almost like original sin of, of wokeism. It's not, it's not the Christian version of original sin. It's original sin of like woke ideology. So it's, it's kind of interesting. So people go, well, my parents, they believe in conservative economics and I need to disassociate from them and I'm going to deconstruct and find everything else out on my own. Instead of nuancing an argument and going, my parents are really good people and my parents love God and they taught me what was right and what was true and they fed me and they clothed me. I disagree with them about policy on economics. I mean, why can't you just say that? And, but you can't, you have to disassociate. So I guess what I want to say about the next question was what you just asked me pushback. I think for the most part, my fans and my follow when I say fans, I mean, my music fans, the followers of Cooper stuff, whatever, they kind of gotten used to my stances on things. They know I'm going to be hard hitting. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people surprised and they're like, I'm actually really glad you said this as you alluded to earlier. There's going to be people that love it. But then there are the people that call out the obvious irony. Now they might call it hypocrisy. I would call it irony. Mm -hmm. The irony that guess what? I am a celebrity and I do make money. And I, I mean, I'm not saying that I look cool, but I suppose I try to look cool. It's part of my job. Uh And so there are people that are like, oh, oh, nice. So you get to talk about Jesus and you get to look cool, but you say that they can't. 
And yeah. it's really funny because part of that has this, it has this feeling like that pastors are victims. Like they're victims because they can't look cool as if, as if that's like suffering for Christ. It's that <laughs> suffering for Christ that we don't want our pastors walking around in low hanging shorts, not wearing underwear and no t-shirts. You're not suffering for Christ because we don't want you doing that, brother. That's just weird. That's all you can say. It's weird. That's not your job. And so I think part of it is understanding a few nuanced arguments. And I'll be the first to say that I'll give my arguments. Some people are going to disagree with me, but I think some of it's nuancing, man. You know, like you go, okay, I like what John's saying about A, B, and C. I disagree with him about Christian entertainment. I don't mind if people disagree with me about, oh, I totally feel you. For instance, a lot of people have a real problem with tattoos. My family has a real problem with tattoos. I theologically do not have a problem with that, but my family still likes me, I think. (laughs) So anyway, let's nuance a few things here. Yeah. I think there's a difference between a calling to be a part of, and if people want to hear this in depth, I talked about it on my Cooper Stuff podcast, so go check it out. I I'll believe the it. name of the episode was something like morale, why, why Morality Matters or, or something of that nature, okay? okay? Why Morality Matters in Church. I can't remember what it's called. Sure. Um, I'll look it up. Yeah, I, t- I talked about this a little bit, but there's a difference between being a pastor or a teacher in a church. That is a calling. It is a gifting. That's what Ephesians 4 says. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists for the equipping of the saints. Those are gifts that God gives to the the congregation, to the people of God. And that's a calling. And that is different than being a musician. That is different than being a, a fireman or being an actor or a school teacher. And so I think some of it is that it makes sense to dress the way that you look, the the way that you act, appropriate for the calling that you have. It would be really strange to be a swimsuit model and a pastor at the same time. It just would be really weird. (laughs) (laughs) And so I don't necessarily look at that and say, any pastor that that looks cool is a sinner. I don't personally feel that way. I still feel like it's a motive of the heart. I think where the question comes into is if you're called to be a pastor, the motive of your heart is to equip the people of God for the work of the ministry. Or it should be. uh, Oh, absolutely, it should be. But if what it starts to look like is that the motive of your heart is to, uh, to, to look awesome or to be awesome or have all the girls think that you're gorgeous, that's a little bit weird. Does it mean that if you're nice looking, you're a sinner? You know what I mean? Does it? I mean, let's face it. You could you could make the same heart argument about the, the the Christian pastor that it looks like he's dressing just like Justin Bieber, or the Christian pastor that wears a ten thousand dollar suit. Yeah. In other words, it's an issue of the heart, in my view, more than it is actually. You know, always oh, wearing camo. Camo's evil. I'm not really saying that. I'm I'm more saying. I don't think that their job is to be cool and their job is definitely not to be liked by the world. It is not to be making peace with the world It's to be bringing the sword of truth. Yeah. I think it's a, uh, a kind of macro level swinging in the opposite direction of kids growing up with super strict parents, stuffy pews, judgy grandmas, 
and them wanting to make it their own and make it to where, hey, this is pretty cool. Oh, Justin Bieber thinks this is pretty cool. Kanye thinks this is pretty cool. Christianity can be cool. And the top level of Christianity can be cool, I think. But if you do any amount of reading and any amount of study on the deal, there are some offensive things there that the world, by definition, will not like. And at a certain point, you can either stay at the top there and continue to grow your platform and your book sales and your album sales and your freaking clothing line and your real estate. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about these pastors that have the same things. Uh, Or eventually you're going to have to get into the deeper, harder things that are going to push people away or at least challenge people to repent. And I think there's a whole group of people. I know there's a whole group of people that just are just kind of staying at the top because it's it's attractional. It grows. It brings people to church. It maybe and maybe there's some merit to that in saying like let's get these people into the doors that maybe would never come in the doors of a steeple type church but if it just stays there it's just going to be churn and if you're not actually calling them to repentance and like turning from their sin and following jesus then it's like what's the point of any right i think that you're right i think that well i think that you're right about a few things and and i do i do agree and I'm not saying that I have no grace, because I do, by the way. I've got grace. I have understanding uh, about why people had that reaction, as you said, towards the, the mean grandmas, the mean church. They, they, you know, I grew up in that way. Couldn't wear black. Couldn't listen to rock music. Couldn't go to the dance. Couldn't have yeah. a mullet. All I wanted was a mullet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's evil, too. And, and I just kind of grew up with this very, like, Part of the reason I dress the way I do was a revolt, not against the Bible. It was a revolt against religion. It was a revolt against the most important thing in Christianity is outward appearance. And I hate that because that is not true. Christianity is about having your heart changed from the inside out. It's about your heart. It's not about making sure the outside of the club, cup is clean. You know, Jesus said that, right? He's talking to the Pharisees. Like, you guys are in all of you religious leaders. You're basically like people where the inside of the cup is dirty, the inside of the bowl is dirty, but you wash the outside, but you're full of junk and yeah. you're full of sin and pride and self-righteousness. So the way that I dress was a revolt against those things. So I understand why we're going there. But as you said, at some point, if you speak truth, you're going to be at war with the world. Christianity is waging war against the powers of darkness. And to think that 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 we can just go into the world and become best mates and it's not going to come up is 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 not only is it naive, what will end up happening and what has happened, just look at what's happened in the church this year. What will end up happening is is that churches will will churches will bend on truth a little bit. And as soon as you give a little bit, then then the the uh, the sway happens. In other words, you give an inch before you know it. You know, it's almost like if you've ever been at the beach and you go into the ocean and you've got, you know, you see your parents over there. You know, you're like, okay, that's where they are. Hey, guys, you wave, you swim a little bit, you're having fun. It, it, next thing you know, you can't even find your parents anymore. You You've actually drifted far away sometimes if you've ever gone to the ocean. You're like, oh, my gosh. How did I drift this far away? I didn't even feel it. I didn't even notice it. That's what happens. And 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 honestly, I don't want to keep picking on Carl Lentz just for this one thing, but that, that's the thing. If you're a pastor of a church and you have not thought about 
what your answer would be when somebody says, do you think that abortion is sin? If you've not thought what your answer, if you've spent more time on your abs than on how you're going to answer the world, there's a really huge problem, bro. Yeah. I think that's my tweet of the day. I think that's yeah, the best that thing I've ever pithy. said. Yeah. Pissy <laughs> <laughs> is a good word for that, actually. Hey, that's I want to say one, one more thing because you you didn't ask me, but we, you may have asked and I just didn't hear you. But the irony, I do understand that somebody like me, you know, I have made my money talking about Jesus in a certain way, I guess. Yeah. I guess I just want to say. I, I did ask Christian, that. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I view Christian entertainment uh, some people don't like this, but I, I view it as something different. I, I wish there wasn't Christian entertainment. I wish that there was just entertainment. The problem is, and some people disagree with me about this, is that I the government, I don't mean the government's clamping down on free speech, but it is so disincentivized to sing a song about Christ on yeah. mainstream radio. They do not want to hear it. They will not play it. There is no avenue for it. They, Christian films. I mean, we finally got some Christian films coming out that I think are really good. Actually, I loved. Um, um, I can only imagine. I thought it was fantastic. Actually, oh, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Bart. Oh, it was it was really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some of those films going, but you know, how, I mean, this has been fifty years. We've been trying to get Christian films to get produced. It's really hard to get Christian music, Christian art, Christian books. The only way it was able to happen was to basically say, fine, we're going to create our own world where we do this. So I think that it's, I think if, if, if Christian music didn't exist, I wouldn't have had Petra to teach me to if, number one, to encourage me that it's cool to be a Christian. It's cool to live for Christ. I wouldn't have learned those things from the Bible and said, the only thing I could have listened to was about sex, drugs, rock and roll. So I kind of think the Christian music, I see a real need for it, to be honest, Christian entertainment. I'm for it in terms of that. And I don't mind that people make a lot of money doing it because it is not a ministry of the church. It's, it, it's business, but you are using it for a platform. But, how the, the, but the problem, of course, is, is with anything, humans are bad yeah. and we do wicked things. And people will, if there's money to be made, people will end up doing it only to make money. You know, yeah. and and then before you know it, you're like, how come all the how come all these Christian music stars are falling from their faith? You're like, well, they were probably never saved. They just found a way to make money. Let's just be <laughs> honest. So um, I guess that is my kind of defense, if you will. I know some people have a, an issue with that, but I stand strong on it. I feel pretty clear about it. Yeah, I like it. I uh, that's something I struggle with is because like kind of I know we're, out, we're, out, we're over time, um, but that's something I struggle with is like. I'm happy for, I've never been against people making money. Like I've got my MBA, like I'm a big fan of business and being profitable and capitalism, and all that kind of stuff. But there is something that still like twinges inside of me when I, there's some point in my head when it seems like I'm using God to get rich, like legit rich. It just seems like maybe he wouldn't be a fan of that. And that's, that's, I think that that point is different for everyone and it's not outlined in scripture. It is a heart issue, but that is at least something I want to struggle with or I want to wrestle with and get other people to wrestle with too, because you know, it's almost universally agreed that the Jesse Duplantis, Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen's of the world, it's tacky that they're making hundreds of millions of dollars off of Christian culture. Uh, it's kind of tacky that Kanye has come in and now 
taken over Christian music and is making buku bucks off of that. But there's some element like before, like I'm happy for people to get paid, but I also don't want people to abuse the name of God in order to make money. I think I'm agreeing with what you're saying. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I, I think that, I, I think that what I feel you saying is, is uh, it's definitely some things I agree with, by the way. And some of it is also, uh, I think that's something like a gracious way to say it, that there are nuanced arguments here. I think it's worth discussing, but there's also grace to know. For instance, I have friends in Christian music and I had known people or, or even famous people like, Keith Green, who I never knew, by the way. Keith Green is somebody who never wanted to make money in terms of that. In other words, he, he wasn't going to get rich from it, wasn't going to sell his music. He gave it away and people could give him offerings for it if they wanted to. And there were people that really felt a conviction in that way. And then there are going to be other people that don't have. So I think it's an issue to me of grace in that. But I do think once you take it into the actual church, tax-free, ministry, this is this is a like a this is like a church of God, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that it kind of becomes a bit of a different animal, and I and I do think yeah. that that's worth talking about. You know, so if I can give one last plug for my book, I think that you'll you'll appreciate this because of the platform that I do have. I'm able to do something that that honestly, I'm sure millions of other people wish they could do, and they just can't. And this is what it is. I wrote this book. It's called Awaken Alive to Truth. Uh, and um, I talked to a bunch of publishers. And let's be honest, as you said, there's a bunch of money being made in the Christian self-help world right now. Oh, and yeah. I've already got a platform. I'm kind of a famous guy in a certain way, in certain circles. Everybody wanted to make a book with me. But as soon as I turned in the book, they're like, not, a, not a single publisher wanted to make it. Not a uh. single one. And I was forced to say, do I want to make the book they want me to make so we can sell it and we can make money and this and the other, or do I want to just make my book myself? And so I'm so, I just self-published my own book and there's only one place in the whole world you can get it. And that's on my website, johnlcooper.com. And, uh, but I'm able to do it because of the platform and probably millions of other people could probably write a better book. They just don't have the platform to do it, but it's a good it's a good topic with what, with what we're saying. It's sad that we've come to a place that even Christian publishers are scared to put out a book that talks about hell. It talks about the fact that a loving God, a loving God demands justice against the wicked doer. It demands it. And we're all wicked doers, except that we've been saved by the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, I don't see how you can not talk about that, but people are scared of it. So anyway, this book is a very uh, evangelistic book and uh, it, it's a good book. If, if you have a friend that doesn't want to go to church or is not into listening to preaching, but be like, I might read a book from, from a rock singer. Sure. This is like theology for dummies and it talks yeah. about the important stuff, you know? So I think it's evangelistic, but I think it could hopefully encourage people in their faith um, and, 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 to stand strong on the word of God. And that's really what I want. And is it out currently or is it still pre comes out on Friday? Nice. So I, don't, I don't know when this is posting, but it comes out on Friday. Woo! Friday, the, what is that? The fifth, fourth, the fourth Friday, the fourth, the book is awaken alive to truth written by, uh, independently written by John L. Cooper. And you can pre-order it at John L. You also have a podcast called Cooper stuff. 
That's on all the platforms. Yep. Um, where you get more super hot takes from John. Uh, anything else? How can people find you on social? You know, uh, Cooper stuff is on all the all the all the things. You can find that. Instagram is John L. Cooper. Most of my stuff is John L. Cooper. That's how you can find it. Uh, website johnlcooper.com, and it should have a link to all my other um, things there. Okay, sweet, John. I would uh, I would love to spend hours and hours talking more about this stuff because there's there's a bunch of things that we didn't even get to, but this was way more interesting uh, than the stuff that I did have planned. Um, but again, thank you for stopping by and spending the time with me today. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of skillet. Y'all continue to put out, uh, as the kids say, absolute bangers. So everyone check out skillet Spotify or even better on iTunes, maybe buy a song or two or an album or whatever. And again, John, thank you for this. And, uh, I hope the book crushes in the market and you have immense success. Well, thank you very much. I loved being on here. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. I hope you enjoyed the convo with John Cooper as much as I did. Again, if you didn't do what I told you to do in the beginning, subscribe to the Preachers and Sneakers podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. Drop your email at preachersandseekers.com. Subscribe to the newsletter and get all the info on merch and the book and all the latest news on sneakers and preachers and all that good stuff. Also, check out John Cooper, Skillet on Spotify, all the music platforms. Check out his new book on johnlcooper.com, Awake and Alive to Truth. It's coming out Friday, December 4th. So be sure to check that out and follow him on Instagram at johnlcooper. Thanks again for listening to this episode and be on the lookout for the next release of the Preachers and Sneakers podcast coming soon.